Thank you for tuning in to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a church located in Lexington, Kentucky, with a heart for God and a vision for the gospel. I'm Derek Holmes, lead pastor. So grab your Bibles and let's hear from the Word. I was thinking this week about um, the book of Esther. There was a word that Mordecai delivered to Queen Esther, who um, had been chosen by the king to replace uh, as his new wife. And she was a Jewish person. And Mordecai said to her, who knows that what you've been put here for such a time as this. And I got to thinking about that phrase, for such a time as this. Think about this, church. We are living in 2020. Years before you and I were even created or even put on earth, when God breathed life into Adam, he chose that we would be the generation that is here at this time for such a time as this. And the church has always risen to the challenges that, have, that they have faced from the moment church, the church has been, uh, had been founded all the way back in the book of Acts. The church has survived through persecution, through famine, through turmoil, through war, through pestilence through sorrow, through plague. And here we are again, finding ways to still get the message of hope to those who need it in times when the world seems to be upside down and life just isn't like normal. What an exciting time to be alive, but also something that hit me while we were singing is, is honestly just how much I miss you guys. I don't like doing this. We're gonna try to make the best of it, but I miss you. And I know that, I, I know that you probably miss being able to be with your church family I've grown a greater love and concern for, for you all and for the body of Christ through this time of distance. And so I want you to join in prayer that this will end soon, but it will end at a time when it is safe, but that also that the church will never be the same because I think that this is the kind of potential that it has, that God can turn bad things into good and use them for his glory. And he's still doing that. And so that's what I'm also praying too that he'll do with this message as well because a few weeks back, we had no idea of COVID. We were planning out this series, and several weeks back, this message was already planned, and the message is on the subject of hell today. And you might think, man, that's a tough message, but I think also it's probably the most timely message that we could give at a time like this too. God already knew what he was doing as we were planning that out. But most Christians, we know that the important job that we have once we are saved is not just to sit by and wait for heaven but we are to be active and we're supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be ministering now for the sake of the gospel, that we're supposed to share our faith and share the gospel with those people who don't know it. Jesus, the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven was to go and make disciples. And we're supposed to share the gospel and we're supposed to share uh, the message of salvation and hope and peace through Jesus Christ. But the, the problem is that a lot of us don't sense an urgency like we should. Statistics tell us that eight out of 10 Christians who name the name of Jesus Christ, church-going, faithful people, will never share their faith with another human being. Folks, we have to do better than that. And I think it's because we've become apathetic to what we gain when we come to trust Jesus as our Savior. But more tragically, I believe, outside of our apathy of what we have in heaven is our, is our numbness to what we lost in hell and what other people will stand to lose if they die without Jesus Christ. So I want to take a, a look at a story this morning that Jesus told about heaven and hell. Luke chapter 16, beginning verse number 19, it says this, there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen. And it said that he fared sumptuously, or it means that he feasted lavishly every day. Some of y'all may be uh, feasting lavishly on a lot of snacks and stuff right now, so you got nothing else to do. Uh, just remember that that will, that will last way longer than the, uh, than the social distancing, the effects of that. But it says he feasted lavishly every day. 
And in verse number 20, he says, there was a certain beggar and his name was Lazarus. And it says, he was laid at the man's gate and he was full of sores and he desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And it said, moreover, the dogs came and they licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and he was buried. But the rich man in hell or in Hades, which is the, uh, the concept of, of, where, uh, of where the rich man had gone, says he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And he saw Abraham afar off and he saw Lazarus there in his bosom sitting nearby. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. And he said, because I am tormented or I am in absolute agony in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime, you received thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to you. And that which would come from thence. And then he said, I pray you, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may go and testify them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, they have Moses, they have the prophets, and let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one went from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, and get this, get this, if they will not hear Moses and they will not hear the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And there's another question that I want to ask you this morning. Why do you think it was that made this guy in hell know that in order not to go to hell, you needed to repent? Because apparently he had not received that advice or did not heed that advice when he was alive or else he would have been in heaven. But what catches, me, what catches me here is immediately he knew that he needed to repent. Immediately he knew that his brothers needed to repent before it was too late. There is some really good theology in hell. Hell is full of people who don't doubt the scriptures anymore. Hell is full of people who understand the gospel. The problem is that they can never receive the gospel at this point. And you know what? As the church of Jesus Christ... We need some of that good theology about hell too, because I think we oftentimes become numb to it. And I think a lot of times we think, well, hell is a tough subject. So we need to skirt around it and we need to focus on some other things that will make people think all the good things about Jesus Christ and all the good things about being saved. But the problem is that Jesus, when he taught and when he was ministering, he talked about heaven and hell a whole lot, but he talked about hell three times more than he talked about heaven. And we might wonder, especially why in the world would he do that? Uh, why in the world would he choose to talk about the negativity of hell when there's so much good and glorious things about heaven to share? The streets of gold, um, you know, never having a tear in your eye, never getting sick, never dying, being reunited forever, being in the presence of God. Those are awesome things. Those are things that you want to sell to people as far as the gospel is concerned. But let me ask you a question. If we never embrace the horrible reality of prayer, how will the gospel ever truly be the good news that it's supposed to be? Because the word gospel means good news. So if, the, if we're sharing the good news, how is it good news if we don't know of the bad news that we're supposed to avoid? You see, we have to embrace this understanding of hell and the reality that there is a heaven to gain and that there is a hell to shun. And a lot of people have a lot of questions about, about hell as well. But the truth is that in our text, Jesus tells a story about this rich man who... who, uh, who uh, who both die, this rich man and this, and, and this poor man, they both die. They both die and they end up in different places in eternity. Lazarus, the poor man, goes to heaven and is in Abraham's bosom and uh, the rich man, man ends up in hell. 
and he's in torment and he gets this vision of Lazarus who he saw at the gate of his house all the time and he sees Abraham off in heaven and he is able to see the peace and the place that he is in heaven, the place that he's missing out on. And he calls and he asks for three things. He says, I would love to have mercy from you. I need a drop of water if I can't have mercy. And then he asks, will you please send somebody to go and tell my brothers how to avoid this place of torment? And let me ask you this question. If Jesus, and, and the answer that he gets is, I'm not going, uh, we can't send someone. We, we heard that just a minute ago from the text. Abraham says, they have, the, they have the prophets, they have the gospel, they have the message, which we all do today as well. So we will not send people back from beyond to warn them. And here's the question I have for you today, church. If people are not allowed to come back and warn people about eternity, who's supposed to? It's us. We're the ones who are supposed to warn people about eternity. We're the ones who are supposed to put people in an eternal eternal perspective. Jesus's ministry was spent trying to bring people's eyes back to the eternal reality because it's really easy in this life to lose sight of what's to come. It's really easy to doubt that there is more, more to life than this, that after this life is over, there's something that is still coming. And you may, be, you may be a skeptic and you may be a doubter and you may have gone through struggles in your faith wondering if any of this is real. How do we know for sure that there's an afterlife? I wanna answer this question with another question. How do you know for sure that it's not? See, I believe based upon the word of God and there's proof that's given in the word of God that there is an afterlife, that man is not just, uh, just dust, but we are made up of a spirit and of a soul as well. In another story that Jesus told when he was trying to keep people's eyes on, the, uh, on, on what is to come and on eternity, he, said, he told the story about sheep and goats. It's a scene of what's gonna take place at a, at a, at a future date. Still has yet to come, but it will one day. And he talks about two types of people, sheep and goats. And he welcomes one, the sheep, with the phrase, enter into my peace. Those are the people that are part of his flock, his children, those who follow him. And the reward for following him is to enter into his peace, the peace of eternity with him. But to the other side, the goats, he says this, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, which has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. And you know what? For me personally, that's where I was headed. I was headed and I was part of the accursed. I was part of the goats until Jesus saved me, until I heard the gospel, until I responded to that. And here's the gospel, and it's simple. It's simply put. The gospel basically says that Jesus became the accursed for me. Jesus who didn't deserve to die, Jesus who never sinned, Jesus who never made a mistake, who had no sin in himself, took upon the curse of our sin and he died on the cross to pay our debt so that we could have eternal life. You see, because all of us, all of us had the wrath of God incurred on us through sin. But Jesus stood in and he took that wrath for us on the cross so that we could avoid hell. We could avoid the picture of what we see of the rich man enduring in hell. And so that we could have that experience of the poor man, Lazarus, sitting in Abraham's bosom in peace and in happiness. But you see, the truth is that humanity, we want to ignore hell, don't we? The majority of humanity doesn't want to think about it. We'd rather think about other things. We find plenty of distractions. We find a lot of things out there that we can focus on. And we oftentimes forget that there is an eternity that is coming. And we oftentimes try to write off what the Bible says about heaven and hell with a question because we say we can't ration this out. If you say that God is good and loving, church, like we do, we believe that God loves us, right? We still believe that God loves us even though times are hard. But if God is so loving, why does he send anyone to hell? 
There's two answers that we can actually give to that. And the truth is, number one, that God doesn't send anyone to hell. We go by our own volition. God never set us up as sinners. God set us up as righteous. And when Adam and Eve sinned, centered in the world, and, and so death by sin, the Bible says, so we go to hell by our own volition because we choose to reject Jesus, God's accursed son, who took the curse for us. You see, John chapter three, verse number 17, the verse right after the most famous verse in the Bible says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Matter of fact, ever since sin entered into the world, he's been working to, to rescue people, to stop them from going to hell. And it cost him his dear son, his one and only son. The second answer is I don't need God to condemn me to hell. I took care of that all on my own. I'm doing a pretty good job of it myself. Even though I am a follower of Christ, I still mess up. I still mess up all the time. You can ask my kids and my wife. I still mess up. I messed up this morning just getting everything set up today. And the guys here on the production team can tell you that. They can agree with you. We all mess up. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the righteousness of God imputed onto us. And so verse number 18 of John chapter 3 says, anyone who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. The truth is, is that God doesn't condemn us to hell. We condemned ourselves because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of Jesus Christ. So the truth is that understanding the horrific reality of hell makes the gift of salvation and the good news of the gospel that much more miraculous. So for the next couple of minutes, and we're going to move through these points really quickly this morning, is we want to understand a few things about hell. We want to understand just how bad hell is. And also, I want to give you a few good things that are actually in hell today, too. And I want to encourage you to really listen, really let it sink in and hear from God's word this morning. The first thing that we have to understand about hell, and this is going to sound real simple. You're going to feel like you've heard this a million times, but hell is eternal. Hell does not end. We are so used to having things limited and finite. Everything that we experience in this life has a beginning and has an ending. But heaven and hell have no ending. Our God has no beginning and he has no end. The spiritual things, they continue on. After this life is over, they will continue on. And we will continue on in one of two places, in heaven or in hell. The old pastor offered some advice to a younger pastor one day and he said, when you're, when you're preaching, remember that eternity is far too long for you to be wrong about what you say. That's something I have to remember every time I share the gospel is, I can't be wrong about this. We must follow what God's word says. If there's anything in life that needs to be a no-so, this is it. There's a lot of things that I hope for in life. I hope that the Cubs win the World Series again. I hope that a lot of things will happen but there's some things that I can know. So, and this is one of the no-sos I need to have is that I know for sure that eternal life is mine. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, he has written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. A lot of people wonder, they say, well, I hope I'll get to heaven one day. I hope my good outweighs my bad. And when he throws my, when he throws my good and bad on the scales of justice, that the good will outweigh the bad and God will let me into heaven, but that's not how it works. He says, you can know for sure that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. But the thing that we have to understand is that hell is eternal. Think about this. Everyone who has ever lived on the face of the earth is still alive. No one truly honestly dies. Everyone that is six feet under the ground right now in cemeteries across the world, they're still alive in their souls in one of two places, in heaven or in hell. It is eternal. Think about this. Here's, what, here's an old poem that I often share uh, many times at funerals. And it says this, life is real. 
Life is earnest and the grave is not its goal. Dust you are to dust you return was never spoken of any soul. You see, the soul doesn't have to fear death. The soul doesn't fear death because the soul will never die. What the soul must fear is what you're gonna do in your life to secure where your soul will be for eternity. Do you know for sure that heaven is your home? We're gonna spend eternity in heaven or hell and once you're there, there's no changing lanes. We can't cross over, we can't cross paths. There's no, hey, I messed up. Can I take that salvation now? Because the gospel applies to this life. The, thing, the next thing about hell is that it's a place of pain. It's a place of real and literal pain. A lot of people will look at scripture and say, the pain can't be real like it's saying in the word of God. But everything that we see of Jesus sharing, uh, sharing about hell speaks of real literal torment, real literal pain, real literal flames. Our text says, uh, in, in Luke, it says, our text says that it's a place of torment and it's a place of agony. Jesus described hell in the book of Mark as a place where the worm does not die and that the fire is not quenched. He said it's a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth in Matthew chapter eight. That doesn't sound like a wonderful place to be. It sounds like a place of real pain and real torment. Everything that Jesus tells us about hell makes it clear that it is a place of real and literal suffering and pain. Now, I don't know what kind of pain physically you've endured in your life, but take that pain and probably mount on it 10, 15, 50 fold. And that'll begin to give you the idea of the type of pain and suffering and torment that we experience in hell and then understand that it never ends, it never subsides, you never get used to it. So hell is a place that is eternal. Hell is a place of pain and hell is a place also of fear. And we're not talking about, oh, I watched a scary movie and something jumped out when I wasn't ready for it. We're talking about a place where every fear is realized and felt, every fear. These truths from Christ in the picture painted in the story are designed to warn us the, the image that is painted of the rich man in hell and the suffering and the torment and the flame and the thirst and all those things are sent to warn us. And it's good that we have that warning. And a lot of people sometimes think, you know, why do I need to be negative? Getting saved just because I don't want to go to hell is not a good reason. Well, can you think of another reason to do that? There's a lot of other reasons, but not wanting to avoid hell is a good reason to trust and to follow Christ. See, I got saved on a Wednesday night when I was 10 years old. And guess what the Bible study was about? It was about this very subject right here. It was about hell. And you know what? My 10-year-old self knew that I don't want to go there. I didn't know a whole lot of stuff at 10, but I did know this. I didn't want to go to hell. And so that was the night that I decided to trust Christ. Hell is a place where all of our fears are realized, and it's where all the world's worst nightmares truly finally come eternally true. Hell's also a place of sadness. Some of you may have written the... Um, or may have read, not written, that would have been a long time ago, but many of you may have read the classic work, Dante's Divine Comedy. One of the stories in Dante's Divine Comedy is called Inferno. And the story is about a man who travels uh, in the afterlife through hell on his way to heaven, and he gets to see all of the things that take place. God gives him this image, and as he enters into the portals of hell, the sign that is above the gate of hell says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. That kind of gives us an idea of the kind of place that hell really is. It is a place where hope does not exist. All hope is left behind when we enter into hell. Right now, it may seem like a hopeless time in the world. We hear the hor horrible stories coming out of Italy and China and other places in the world, even in our own country, in our own state. But let me tell you this, we still have hope. 
Our hope is still in Jesus Christ. There is also still a hope on the horizon that there will be a cure, that life will return to normal. Hope still exists in this life, but in hell there is no hope, and that brings upon this extreme sadness. What is so sad about hell is that there will never be any hope for anyone to go there. Our text tells us that the man, he begged for mercy, but mercy was denied. It tells us that he begged for a drop of water to relieve the pain, but the relief was denied. No hope, no relief, no hope of escape, no hope of mercy, just sadness, just pain, just fear and regret. So hell is a place of sadness. And adding to that sadness is that hell is a place of isolation. I don't know about you, but when I'm by myself for too long, I kind of like being by myself a little bit. Some of you all are loners and you've been preparing for this social distancing for your entire life. But true isolation, think about what true isolation is. It's a place where there is no contact with anyone. You see, many of you may have seen the video that's been going around out of Italy since they've been in this, they've been in this lockdown mode for so long that there's no one even allowed on the streets. And there's videos that are going around now of people opening their windows and beginning to sing songs and everyone in the neighborhood joins in. And that gives us hope of understanding that as human beings, we're not made for isolation. It goes against the nature that God gave us. But in hell, everything goes against the nature that God created us for. So hell will be a place of extreme isolation. Matthew 8, verse number 12 tells us that hell is a place of outer darkness. Now, that phrase was something that Jewish culture knew much about because they had studied much about their heritage. And it reminds them of the time in Exodus when uh, the plague of darkness came over Egypt. And the Bible says it was a time of outer darkness, meaning it was a darkness that you could feel in your soul. It was so dark and so isolating that you could not tell that anyone was around. Think of hell as a place where all you can hear is the wailing and the gnashing of teeth from around you, but you can't see anyone. Where you're in in torment of flames, but you can't see the source so that you can run away. This is the isolation of hell that it's talking about. But you know what's funny is a lot of people joke around and they think, oh, hell is a place I want to go to because you know, my friends are all going to be there. I, I, I have a lot of friends and I, they died and I know they've got to be in hell. There's no way they went to heaven. I think we're just going to get together and I want to be with them for eternity. There is nothing in scripture that gives us any indication that there will be fellowship among the residents of hell. Even the rich man in our text, you say, well, hold on. The rich man had a conversation when he was in hell, but who did he have the conversation with? He didn't have a conversation with someone in hell with him. He had a conversation with those who were in heaven. That was because God had given him that opportunity, but he never had a conversation with anyone while he was in hell. And now that he's in hell, he's not looking for someone to hang out with. What he's looking for is for someone to go and tell his brothers how to avoid coming here. And understand this, if you're thinking that hell is a place that you wanna go because your friends are there, your friends don't want you there. No one in hell wants another person to come because hell is a place of isolation, but hell is also, the next point is a place of separation. See, for me, one of the hardest hitting lines from this story is verse number 26, if you look at it. When Abraham tells the rich man that he can't give him water, any kind of mercy in verse 26, besides all this, here's the reason none of that help can come to you. Because there's a great chasm that has been fixed between us and you so that that those who want to pass over from here cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. That great chasm or that great gulf that is fixed between heaven and hell, there's a bridge over that over that chasm right now while we live. And that bridge is named Jesus Christ. But once we enter into hell, or once we enter into heaven, there is no crossing over. The only way to escape the horrors of hell are to trust Christ in this life. Because once we're there, that bridge is closed. 
that chasm. That's the one that hits me the hardest is there's a gulf that cannot be crossed. There's a chasm that cannot be fixed, that cannot be crossed because hope no longer exists. Help no longer exists. Relief and refuge no longer exists. Let me give you just a couple of good things in hell before we close out this morning. We struggle with the idea that a, uh, a good person might go to hell, but the truth is that there's a lot of good people in hell today. There are a lot of good people that are in hell today. We all know that people, we all know people that he, we would call good people, don't we? Hopefully you're sitting in a room with somebody you would call a good person. Now I know theologically and I know scripturally the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And in the standard and in the comparison to God, none of us are good. But by human standards, there are some who are morally uh, and ethically just better people. They're good people. I love the good people at Graceway Church. Hopefully you think you love your, good pa- your pastor who's a good pastor at Graceway Church. Hopefully. But you see, we all know people who are good people. Matter of fact, you may know a lot of good people who are not Christians. And you may know a lot of people who are Christians who are not good people. You see, but good people die and they go to hell every day. You see, the rich man, he gets a bad rap because the Bible says that uh, the rich man kind of let him stay at his gate. But the truth is that he actually let him stay at his gate. Um, there would have been a lot of people trying to run him off from their home, but he allowed him to stay there. And the Bible says that he had been laid there by the gate, which means that the man probably couldn't get around himself. And he asked someone to lay him at that gate where he could beg and where he could get help from this rich man. It's, we're led to believe that this rich man did have some, some sort of compassionate heart, that there was some assistance given because he didn't run him off. Think about this. If you looked out your window right now and you saw a couple people wrapped up in blankets with baskets sitting outside your mailbox and they were setting up camp, what would your reaction be? Now, some of you might say, well, at this time, I'd probably go out and give them a sandwich or I might maybe even invite them in. I don't know. But how many of you would be wondering how many people are looking out their window and looking at you wondering what in the world are they going to do? When are they going to get them out? Sometime eventually the cops are going to be called. But this man never ran him off. He was a good guy. He wasn't all bad. So there are good people that are in hell. The Bible tells us also that there's good vision in hell. You see, what makes people good sometimes is that they can see things clearly and they can see things for the way that they really are and they respond in kind. The Bible tells us that in heaven or in, or in hell, everyone has good vision. Look at verse number 23 of the text in Luke 16. It says, in being in torment in Hades or in hell, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. The rich man's vision was so good in hell that he could see all the good that he was missing in heaven. Think about that torment of being in hell and looking up and seeing this poor man that you passed every day on the way into your house at the edge of your driveway. And all of a sudden now he's in heaven, faring sumptuously like the Bible said, while you're down in hell begging for scraps, but they can't come. You see, there's good vision in hell. One of the most tormenting things of hell for the rich man had to be that he could see into heaven and live for eternity with the realization that he will never enter that. That the life that he enjoyed while he was on earth and the life that he, he basically built for himself on earth and was so good at doing through either through business or power or whatever, he had a great life, but he realized that it was so temporary in comparison to the eternity that he was in now. See, everyone in hell has a good vision of what they're missing. The next thing that we see in hell that's good is there's good prayers. There are good prayers that are prayed in hell. Look at verse number 24. Father Abraham, the poor man called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in cold water and cool my tongue because I am in agony and I am in torments in this flame. All of a sudden, this man had a prayer life. 
Matter of fact, if this man had prayed that prayer when he was alive, he wouldn't have been in hell because he was a, it was a prayer for mercy. It was a prayer of repentance. It was a prayer for help. And folks, that's what we do when we trust Christ. We ask Jesus for help, help that only he can give. Salvation is not a number of works and a class away. Salvation is a prayer away. If you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, you will be saved. This man prayed the right prayer, but he prayed it at the wrong time. There are a lot of good prayers being prayed in hell today, but they're just prayed at the wrong time. This is what I did that Wednesday night when I was 10 years old. As, the pastor was, as my pastor was, was teaching on hell, I had been for a while, I've been raised in church, and I had thought I was saved and was having doubts about it. And so every night I was going to bed, I was like, I don't know if I'm saved, so if I'm not, would you please save me? I was just having doubts. And I didn't want those doubts because the Bible says that he doesn't want us to doubt. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. And so as the pastor was teaching on hell, 10-year-old Derek didn't know a lot, but he knew enough to say, I don't want to go to hell. And so all I could wait for was him to finally be done. So, and when he was done, I ran. You're not supposed to run in church, but I ran to him. And I said, I need Jesus as my savior. And right then and there, I prayed and I called out and I prayed a prayer a lot like this man did, but I prayed it on time. And I'm thankful that I heard the message on time. And today you're hearing the message on time. Will you respond or will you wait until that prayer is too late? Everyone will call out to Jesus. Everyone will proclaim that he is Lord but for some of them, it will be too late. Don't let that be you. Be on time with calling out to Jesus. See, hell is full of prayer warriors that decided too late to join the army. Catch that again. Hell is full of prayer warriors that decided too late to join the army. Hell is full of people who never prayed, who have never prayed one moment on earth, but now they're bound to cry out for mercy for eternity and it will never come because they didn't call before it was too late. And the next thing that there is in hell will be a good memory. And this will add to the agony, I believe, because as they pray those prayers, they'll be reminded of the times that they heard the gospel. They heard of hope, but they didn't respond. And realizing it was too late, in verse number 25, look what it says. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life, you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here while you're in agony. Memory, I believe, will be one of the most tormenting and agonizing tormentors in hell. The memory of the times that you could have trusted Christ, but you said no. You see, in hell, you're gonna have full consciousness. We'll have full awareness and we'll have a perfect memory. But in heaven is described as a place of blissful ignorance where the Bible says that at one point, God is going to wipe away every tear from the eye. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more painful memories, and they'll all be wiped away. But in hell, all of those memories are in place. And you're left with those memories to continue to tear at you for the rest of your life. In hell, in heaven, every tear will be wiped from the eye, but in hell, every tear will continue to drain from every eye. See, tears brought on by the memories of opportunity that was wasted, the times you heard the gospel and the time you re rejected it. One of the chilling things for me as a preacher is that there are gonna be people who will die and will go to hell who have heard my voice share the love of Christ, maybe even this message and for eternity, my voice will ring in their ears because they heard the gospel and did not accept it. And that's a chilling thing for me as a pastor to think that one day there will be people for eternity that will continue to hear my voice sharing the love of Christ and the regret of never accepting. But you know what's even more chilling for me is the thought there will be people that I should have shared the gospel with 
that will never hear my voice because I didn't take the opportunity. That's what chills me. I hope that that helps you to understand the urgency of the gospel that we have to preach, church. That's why we're doing Who's Your One. That's why we say, no matter what may come, we must be faithful to share the good news. Because one day, our time will come, and we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And the next thing, and this is what our title of our message was and where we just jumped off, and this is where we're going to end at today. There's some really good theology in hell. We don't know what this rich man's theology was while he was alive. We do know that he didn't trust in salvation, but we don't know what kept him from doing that. Maybe he was just too busy with building his, building his career, building his empire, building his name, collecting wealth. Maybe he was a skeptic. Maybe he was agnostic or maybe he was atheist. But what we do realize is that in hell, all of a sudden, all those theological doubts and questions had been answered. He had good theology. And I believe this, there are no atheists and there are no agnostics in hell. And I don't say that to be derogatory or combative. But in hell, we will come to understand that God was right and that the gospel was true. Everyone in hell has good theology and they all know that Jesus was the only way to heaven. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter two. It says, one day that at the name, uh, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and in heaven on, and on earth and catch this, under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. That means things in hell will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is not one person in hell who doesn't believe in Jesus. There's not one person in hell who doesn't believe in Jesus. And also there is not one person in hell who is apathetic about the gospel mission. This rich man, just a few moments in hell, his attention turned to his friends and family who needed to know Christ. He became passionate about the gospel and the Great Commission. And so that's what leads to the next thing is that there's good priorities. There's good priorities in hell. In verse 27, Father, he said, I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers and warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. Here is a guy who had not one, but five who's your one cards filled out. He had five guys on his prayer list and he was just praying that somebody would have a gospel conversation with them. Let me ask you a question and be really honest. When was the last time you prayed for five people to be saved in the last five years? You see, there's better theology about the gospel from the residents of hell than there is in our churches today. If only the church would grab the theology and the gospel priority of the residents of hell, we could see God do some amazing things here in this world and we could see the world turned upside down for Jesus Christ. And lastly, the last good thing in hell is there's good intentions. And this might be the most important part of the whole thing. Hell is full of good intentions. There's that old phrase that says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Full of people who said, you know what? I need to be saved. I'm just not ready. Full of people who said, you know what? One of these days I'm gonna get around to being a church person. One of these days I'm gonna trust him. Maybe you've shared the gospel with someone before. Maybe you've already started to have those gospel conversations with your ones and they've said, you know what? That sounds great. I'm just not ready. Those are good intentions. But good intentions fill hell all the time. There are so many people today in hell who meant to trust Christ, but they ran out of time. They had the opportunity and they said, I'll take the next one that comes by. See, I, played, I grew up playing baseball. 
Um, I know it's hard looking at this figure now, but I used to be kind of a somewhat athletic kind of guy. But in baseball, you'd get signs from your, from, your, from your coach when you're at the plate, and sometimes they would tell you to take a pitch. That meant just let the pitch go by. It didn't matter if it was a fastball straight down the middle. It didn't matter if it was a ball in the dirt. It said take a pitch. It was to make the pitcher work harder. And I hated getting the take sign. I absolutely hated the take sign because I didn't know if I was going to get another good pitch like that. It seemed like every time I got a take, I got the take sign, it was a fastball straight down the middle, man, meaty and juicy, and I could have done something awesome. I could have knocked that thing out of the park, and I hated the take sign. But there's so many people today that when it comes to the gospel, and the gospel is coming straight down the wheelhouse for you to accept, and you just feel like, no, nah, I'm going to take it. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to let the bat sit on my shoulder, and I'm not going to swing. That will be to our eternal detriment if we don't seize the opportunity to trust Christ now. Jesus said this, and I want to close. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. Here's what we have to understand. Hell was not prepared for you and me. Hell was not prepared for any person. You may be thinking about some people that you can't stand. Maybe it's an enemy. Maybe it's an ex. Maybe it's a boss, whatever. Maybe it's somebody, maybe it's thinking of terrorists or somebody like that. No one. Hell was not created for any of them. It wasn't created for you and me. What was created for you and me? Heaven. Jesus right now is in heaven as the master carpenter, and he is building heaven. He's building mansions. He's building dwelling places for those who believe in him. Hell was not prepared for you and me. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So here's the question that we all have to consider today. Do you want to spend eternity in a place where it was not designed for you, or do you want to spend eternity in a place that you don't deserve but has been designed specifically for you to be with God forever? And here's the question for us as a church. Will you get over your good intentions and turn your good intentions into action and start sharing your faith with those who need Christ? That's what Who's Your One has been all about. At a time when we're distracted, at a time when we could be fearful, it is not a time to be fearful. It is a time to be bold about sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. And as we close, I want to share this one last thing. Personally, if I could just share this, I know that when my life is over with, I'll have eternal life because I've trusted Jesus. He walks with me. He talks with me. He's my friend. This is closer than a brother. I want that same peace for you. And the Bible says that what we must do to trust Christ, we do three simple things. And I break it down like this, ABC. We must admit that we're sinners. When I was 10, I admitted I was a sinner. You know why hell scared me so much? Because I realized I deserved it. And I admitted that I was a sinner. And if we look deep down inside of all of ourselves, as much as we try to fool ourselves that we're good people, the truth is that in God's eyes, our sin separates us from him, that big gulf and that big chasm. So we must admit that we're sinners. The reason hell scares us so much is because we know we all deserve it. Deep down, we all deserve it. The second thing we must do after admitting is believe, is to believe that even though we deserve it, God loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to save us. Do you believe that Jesus can save you? Let me tell you this. I realized I couldn't save myself. Every night I was like, God, save me, God, save me, God, save me. And I was, bet, I was betting on whether I could whether I could just convince God to save me. The truth is I didn't need to convince God to save me. I just needed to be convinced that Jesus could. And so I put my faith in him and I've been trusting him ever since because it's not about me, it's about him. And the next thing you gotta do is you gotta call. 
If you admit you're a sinner, you believe that Jesus can save you. All he wants you to do is call on him. Say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my heart and save me. And so here's what we're going to do as we close out this morning. We're going to have a time of invitation. When we're in our service, we have a time of invitation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that we have all sinned and we come short of the glory of God. And all we must do is if we will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Do you believe or do you trust and do you understand and know and admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? And if you do, do you believe Jesus will save you? And if so, would you just pray this prayer like this? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just like the rich man that was in hell who prayed too late, I want to pray on time. Lord Jesus, save me. Save me from my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need you and I'm trusting you the best that I know how to save me and to take me to heaven when my life is over. I want to spend eternity with you. I do not want the torment of hell and I'm trusting you as my only way to be saved. The best I know how and all the faith that I have, I trust you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.